Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. join us today for this uh, episode of Free State. We hope people will be able to free their minds and think and talk. This is going to turn into a wellness podcast eventually. (laughs) Is it? It's going to be mindfulness. uh, The tyranny of wellness. We are delighted that uh, an old friend of the podcast, the Prince himself, Charles Anya Bunham, has joined us again today. How are things, Charles, in your uh, world? All very good. Hey, Charles. And uh, thanks, thanks for having me back again. Can we, can we, before we go any yeah. further, um, there was, we built, built the last podcast a lot around how you two met. And then it kind of came clear listening back to it that actually, did we ever really establish <laughs> how you met? Because there was still some, uh, we met some grayness, let's say. We met in a crowded bar. Charles was surrounded by women and he was telling them. <laughs> I ab- denied it all. <laughs> he was telling them about his five wives. <laughs> yes, and uh, he said that he was at that point with his traveling wife uh-huh. who traveled with him in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I actually recall that very, very clearly. Who was, it, this every, was- every one of them hanging on his every word. And, you know, and one of them said, she says, you know, do you think that's a bit sexist? And he went, well, of course, my country's terribly sexist and misogynist, but it's not something that I can be held responsible for. This is the system I've been born into. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being, I was accosted by, by, by a female who sort of like, you know, took offense. Um, how dare me, you know, because um, Shenda was obviously in the bar with me. <laughs> And I, I went around and said, she made the cuts this time <laughs> you know, to accompany, <laughs> accompany me. And um, yeah, that was, uh, well, was, that was in, uh, that was in uh, Balinar. Yeah, that was. That was we, met, we met before that, but we can't, okay, uh, can't go we have that. a non-disclosure agreement. Right, okay. So yeah. we'll get there eventually. <laughs> you know, the more you come keep, on. Keep them guessing. We'll just keep yeah. peeling back the exactly. onion. Yes. Exactly. The, uh, what's on my mind today I just want to read a few lines that I wrote. A young woman tenses herself and stares straight ahead. The camera focuses in on her. Suddenly, she gets hit hard across the face. She stumbles forward as though tranquilized. 
like an animal, falls forward onto her forehead, then backwards, unconscious. Woohoo! Woo! She has gone down like a decapitated chicken. The commentators are gleeful. The judges make noises and whips like the judges of the NBA slam dunk contest. Fantastic technique. Wow, geez. I'm going to need smelling salts. Never mind her. That young woman's going to have one hell of a hangover. And uh, the boundaries of legalized thuggery, gentlemen, I think, are disappearing. Um, the latest addition to the just shy of attacking each other with knives genre is the Power Slap League. This is the latest um, sport, so-called, coming from the... Brainwave would be a, probably the, the wrong word to use. Yeah, the UFC stable, and I don't know if you've seen any of it, but it is, I think, not just in itself, very, very shocking to watch this. But, you know, as Liam Neeson said when he was talking about cage fighting, I mean, why don't they just attack each other with bottles, you know? Mm break a glass and stick it in each other's face. I mean, this is, for me, you know, legalised thuggery and very, very dangerous. The but it's, it's, yeah, it's depraved. It's depraved. I, I, I saw the clip, and you actually, you shared it, and I kind of went, what the, you know, and, and it's couched under, oh, we got a licence from the Nevada, Nevada State Commission. But it's uh, it's bizarre. I'm pretty sure you could get any license for pretty much anything from the Nevada State yeah. Commission. It's, yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah, the bar isn't very high. Yeah, and then you know it's all well. The fighters they want to do it. You know, it's their escape from the ghetto, their means of expression. You know, I mean, and that's true. I mean, it's, it's equally true. I mean, I work in at the coalface in the criminal law. It's equally true that there are many young men from ghettos all around the world who choose drug dealing mm. and assassination of opponents as their means of escape from the ghetto and means of expression, you know, and um, I think it, 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 it's this, this cage fighting which has become normalised now, I mean, every young person, like, I mean, my kids when they were younger, they were all, I mean, agog with, you know, Conor McGregor's sort of thuggery, and it's, I, I don't blame Conor, you know, it's, it's the system that permits this, and, and, um, glorifies it. I mean, I remember George Plimpton, the great, you know, the most elegant probably of all sports writers. So I say, it's taken the, all this is taken the focus off boxing. Mm. I remember George Plim Plimpton talked about the, the doomsday clang of the opening bell. You know, and Joe Fraser said, the great heavyweight champion, he said, you know, I got my brain shook, my money took, and my name in the Undertaker's book. And Joe, like so many fighters, died in poverty, you know, and he, he lived upstairs in his gym in Philadelphia, I think mm. it was. And uh, he became the model for the, the trainer in Million Dollar Baby, Clint Eastwood's character. And, I mean, this, this is a whole new phase now, though. And it seems to me we're regressing towards, you know, the times when, you know, the, the biggest spectator sport in, in Britain used to be public hangings during the 19th century. Yeah. But it is, but there is, it is a reactionary thing. We are, it is a, regre a regression because it does seem to be a response in some ways because we've never been more aware 
of the consequences of sports like rugby. You look at the NFL, look at what they've done around concussion, those kind of things. The consequences of those, people are, are more and more aware of them. And yet there is this reactionary response, which is, well, let's do... <laughs> do things that are go are extreme, just go extreme. go even more extreme, and you can fit it in into your kind of cultural uh, knapsack, if you like, of kind of well, here you are rebelling against uh, you know what 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 the mainstream wants you to do, what what the uh, polite society wants you to do, all these kind of things. Like you know, for example, like Donald Trump is always railing about concussion protocols in the NFL. Because that's not, you know, it's like that's not what yeah. American football yeah. should be. Uh, yet they're, you know, Donald Trump isn't going to be the, isn't going to be suffering the consequences of those brain injuries. But and, I think, yeah, it, it, I mean, you know, at the end, opinion could kind of suggest, well, you know, we know it's exploitative. Well, no, it's sort of, you know, it's 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 bizarre. Then don't watch it. You know, don't give it oxygen. Um, but what is disturbing is that it's being done under some sort of a, a legal basis and being called a sport. That's that's what I object. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, object you know, to you yeah. know what so Dana, Dana White said, who's the sort of the the the, the soon to be billionaire who has put his weight his considerable weight behind this and who made countless millions from cage fighting. You know, people beating each other unconscious. You know, bleeding like stuck pigs and all that stuff. I mean, he said, if you don't fucking like it, there was a, he was at one of the early press conferences for this power slapping. He said, if you don't fucking like it, don't fucking watch it. Nobody's asking you to watch this. Oh, you're disgusted by it. Someone had said, you know, mm. look, leading neurosurgeons are very mm. concerned about PMT. He says, go fucking watch The Voice. And of course, I mean, these billionaires' playgrounds are, are exploitative. But the thought that struck me when Dion talked about regressing going back is that lynching used to be normal. Mm. Burning witches, yeah. that was normal, that was allowed. Gentlemanly duels to the death, that was a big thing. You know, you go out with your seconds, there was nothing illegal about it. You'd shoot each other to death, mm. you know. Um, hanging. Used to be a very normal part of life. I mean, how the West was won, all of that. Butchery, all sorts of, you know, spectator sports like that. I mean, but, but, I, uh, I, uh, I was just going to make the point that when Henry Fontleroy, the gentleman fraudster, was hanged at Newgate in 1824, there were over 100,000 people in attendance. It was a paying audience. Um, you know, something deep in us thrills to the violence. And, you know, if a smart promoter like Bob Arum or you know, someone like that, the Golden Boy or Floyd Mayweather had been alive then, he'd no doubt have hired Michael Buffer to say, you know, let's get ready to hang. <laughs> And you'd have half-naked hostesses walking around, you know, between executions, holding up the name of the next contestant, you know. Because there is, ultimately, I think, human beings, and the reason we have criminal laws, for example, that have stopped things like murder and 
you know, assaults and all of that is because there's something deep inside human beings where we have a t- tendency to violence and to rage and also to enjoy it. I mean, I watched a, a fight once. I stopped going to fighting. Very good friend of mine, Paul McCluskey from Dungiven, was our cornerback when we won the Ulster Club Football Championship. But he was a terrific boxer, boxing at um, welterweight. And, you know, he went up through the gears and we went to England to see him. Good big crowd from Dungiven went to see him and he was fighting uh, a squatty called, I can't remember his name, Dean, whatever his name, but there was Dino, Dino, and it was animalism in the crowd. Sky had it live. And Paul knocked him out in the fourth round. But once it was clear that we were there, very small group of us, and Dean was a squatty, he was in the army, and there was a huge, huge crowd. Obviously a lot of army, a lot of his colleagues and a lot of army people there. And after about a minute of the first round, when it was clear that we had a presence close to the ring, because Paul had got us all sort of close to the ring. You murdering Irish bastards! You murdering Irish bastards! I tell you, I never saw fellas just shrinking. Everyone in our group just shrank. Mm. You know, and this terror descended. And then Paul, the worst possible thing, knocked him out in the first round. Mm. And Paul, realising, because he told me this afterwards, what was going on, immediately went to him, lifted him up, hugged him, held his arm in the air, made sure that everybody, we all stood and clapped frantically. Yeah. You know, But Paul went on to become the European champion. And he fought a guy called Giuseppe Lowry. And I was doing the legals for Paul as a friend. And they went to what Norman Mailer described as, it was a brutal, brutal fight. And it went about maybe halfway through the 11th round. Sky gave it the knockout of the year. A very spectacular knockout. And by then they were both bloodied and bruised and they had entered what Mailer once famously described as the boiler room of the damned. And I was worried now, because you know, if you've got a friend there, yeah. you're in terror. And Paul knocked him out, and it was really horrific. I was about four rows back, because I had ringside from Paul. And I remember vividly there were girls beside me on in the row where I was, and they just exploded into the air in ecstasy. It was a home fight. The fight was... was the, Possibly the King's Hall, I can't remember exactly, but huge crowd. And Laurie, Laurie was knocked out where he stood and his head, his face hit the canvas in front of me. And his eyes were completely dead and he lay there. And I thought, oh fuck, he is, he's dead, he's dead, he didn't move. And that disturbing thing in human nature where, you know, Everyone just followed the winner then. I mean, it was just triumphant mm. in the scene. Paul was there. Yeah. The place was going crazy. This guy's lying there. The medics are all around him, you know, working frantically with him. For five minutes, he was unconscious. Four or five minutes. And, you know, that thing about, regardless of all of that, we've got a winner here. And, and that's, uh, the, that's the focus. Yeah. yeah, and whenever someone loses in boxing, they come in, fantastic and gleaming and yeah. full of fitness and youth and all of that and they lose and they shrink I think it was Plimpton who said they shrink to the size of a pea mm-hmm. you know they're almost like spirited out of there like Floyd or Floyd Patterson who I think we discussed in earlier episode mm-hmm. visited Dungiven and 
met us at the boxing club. He famously brought a disguise to his fights. Yeah. So afraid was he of losing, he didn't want to be recognised when he lost, so he would bring a false beard and moustache and sneak out the stage door afterwards if he lost. You know, but that night, that was the last. I never went back to boxing after that. It just it was, it's, it's too, yeah, it's, it's too it's, animalistic. But, but see, boxing yeah. seemed to be becoming anachronistic, and uh, like there was the sense of it becoming something that time had had its time had gone because of this violence. But I think there has been, and there's a chilling kind of quote from the guy, the UFC chief business officer Hunter Campbell who previously told ESPN that the power slap league had been carefully tested. And this is his quote. After testing it, it became clear to us that there's a massive potential here as a sport, not unlike the early years of the UFC. So what he means is there's an audience for it. There's a market. And what yeah. boxing yeah. now, it's clear for, for, for the audience that has tapped into UFC and now for the power slap, boxing is actually too sedate. It's not there, violent there's enough. Too, yeah. pre, there's too many preliminaries. Yeah. Like you've got to wait fifteen fucking rounds yeah, yeah. for the for the for the, to see the guy being vegetalized yeah, yeah. and and reach that state. Now you can just and it actually this stuff is in the same space as those WhatsApp videos that go around about yeah. violence on the streets. Yeah, you know well, the ones that get shared around on a Monday or yeah. a Tuesday, yeah, and you're it, watching it, like people. Yeah. And there's always at, at some point in those videos. There's always the punch yeah. that flattens somebody, and you're like, "What the fuck happened to them?" It's, it, it's a stupid statement. You know, there's a market for everything if yeah. you want to kind of, you know, uh, go that far. But you know, where, where's the limit to the license to thrill? Yeah, um, and what is acceptable in in in, in society today? Well, and it's it's disturbing for that reason. I mean, it's if 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 you're playing it out that okay, I can I you know I've, I've created a sort of a, a compelling. Uh, justification that I there's an audience out there it's viable commercially etc you know you lose sight mm -hmm. of the fact like Joe you're saying it's you know where's the human kind of yeah, you're not tolerance you're, yeah it's, and how far do we go yeah it's very like the it's very like the um, the old Roman amphitheater you know because we thrilled we yeah. thrilled to the violence it's a natural human instinct I mean if you see if you see a fight taking place in the street you're immediately thrilled by it now you could be appalled by it as well. But it's like the pacifist who's, who's secretly thrilled at the bullfight, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, I saw a fight because I, I wanted to get to understand this UFC thing and really understand it properly. And it was a girl called the Karate Hottie. Her name's Michelle Watterson. And she boasts in her biography that I've beaten up some of my opponents so badly they have actually shot themselves during the fight. And she was fighting a girl called Felice Herrig. Now, I can only presume that Felice is unimpressed by the karate hottie CV because just before the fight, the anchor on Sky, I think it was, or maybe BT, gleefully reminded the viewers that Felice, she said, famously made Justine Kish soil the octagon during their UFC fight in 2017. You know, and, you know, I used to think that beating the shit out of someone was a metaphor. Mm. But here it is gleefully being trumpeted as she can beat up someone so hard that they will yeah. defecate yeah. in public in this arena. And they they talk about them like animals. That fight was the fight before Conor McGregor, I thought, could actually be killed against uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov mm. that night. And... I don't know if you remember the lead up to that fight, 
McGregor smashed up uh, Khabib's bus. Yeah, yeah, that's um, New York. Yeah, he said that his your dad smells like shit at the press conference. Khabib said, "I'm going to kill him. I'm going to fucking kill him." And then on the night, which was incomparably dramatic, you know, uh, I stayed up to watch it. One of my sons was watching it. You know, he was watching it anyway, no matter what. And the presenter said, "And here we go." He said, everyone, the moment we've all been waiting for. Khabib, a man who has wrestled with bears since childhood against McGregor, the Irish gorilla. You know, they're not human beings at all. It's a bear fighting a gorilla for our amusement. What does your son say when you say this about what you think about Wise up. What, what does he mean by that? Just like, fucking wise up. Mm-hmm. Wise up. Everybody likes this. They're being well paid for it, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that they always do, this power slapping thing, so... You know, they do weekly sort of the bit, the top five knockouts. And uh, I think I sent that to you, Charles. Yeah, it's yeah mm-hmm. it's And like, it's really very shocking. You know, one person has to stand with their arms by their side, totally motionless. Yeah. And then they're the victim. And then they're just struck as hard as the opponent possibly can. And there is in the rules and that you can't, like this is one of the reasons neurologists are concerned about it, because it's in the rules that you can't flinch. Well, you can't, you can't, you can't anything like that. that would, mm. the natural human yeah. protections yeah. against getting hit yeah. are against the rules. So you're actually making yourself but, but you see, more exposed to damage. How, how can you classify that as a sports? I mean, the idea of a sports uh, almost sort of suggests that, you know, there's skill involved, you know, how do you train? How do you train to be the best sort of, you know, slapper? Um, you can't train your head to withstand that kind of force. So it's where where has this sort of played into, uh, you know, see, the narrative of being a being called a sport? See, it's not a sport. Yeah, it's it's. I agree totally, and I think that what happens is that you 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 take you take the language of let's say, the World Arts Championship. You create the same atmosphere. You bring in the same commentators. You get the same announcer. You then clothe it with the respectable language of sports punditry. That's how you. That's how you describe it. Then, but it's not you a know, sport. That's that's what I. I, I that's yeah, what I'm objecting to. I agree. But calling it a sport almost, you know, plays into uh, license to thrill is a sport and it's not i mean yeah, yeah, there's boxing we've seen some of the greatest fight, fights yeah. in, in 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 living history uh, these people have trained for months the skill involved but you've got two people standing up with each other and 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 the 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 only only intention is to cause as much harm and 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 force an impact to the other person to the extent that you disable that person there's n- there's nothing else. There's nothing else going on. That's the intention. Yeah, I agree totally. Yeah. But the once you once you clothe it with the respectability of sports in general and sports pundit, like for example, a thing I think is really striking and very eerie is the fact that when these people are knocked out, okay, and falling over and 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 looking very foolish, and you know, brain damage is funny mm. in this world, like. Um, they always say, you know, the doctors rush in and they cradle their heads and the oxygen masks applied. And the commentators always say, you know, it's great to see that the most important thing in our sport is the welfare of these young men and women. Yeah. And 
And so people pick up on that narrative then and then all the supporters of that, they say, well, look, I mean, look, I mean, it's just the same as boxing. It's just the same as, as, as any combat sport. Yeah. And I think that, I think that cage fighting has really pushed out the boundaries. It has given voice to sort of, you know, uh, uh, that, that rage and anger that can be tapped into in, in young people and a gleeful feeling around the lawlessness of it, like the anarchy of it. Mm. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's something that we're seeing in, in, in the world resurfacing now, you know, this, uh, sucker punching people on the street, sucker punching, you know, attacking refugees. It's 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 allowing people to vent their rage. It's describing people as animals. It's yeah. well, you know, I think that's interesting because what when when you said you wanted to talk about this, the thing that came to mind for me was, did you ever read that book Among the Thugs by Bill Buford, the American writer? who wrote a book about, he was waiting for a train one night, he lived in England, he was waiting for a train one night, and a football special train came up. And he was fascinated by football hooliganism. And the quote I took from that book, which is both, is mentioned by both of you today, is one of the people he talked to said, the violence, we've all got it in us. Yeah, And that was the thing that he discovered. He expected to see a kind of, to meet these people, uh, mm. the hooligans would be people who were uh, disenfranchised, who had nothing going for them in their lives. He actually mm. discovered that an awful lot of the time, they their lives were fine. They had yeah. good jobs. Um, and he realized that they found there was, there was a thrill in this. And I've been around, because I covered football for a long time, I've been around quite a lot of... Uh, like I've been in, you know, I've been around a lot of England, England in, in major tournaments, and that sense of, of this, of, of of something happening when the English hooligans would arrive in a in a town. Mm. I remember, like in '98 in France, when they suddenly when the, when they rioted in Marseille, I I got caught up in the in the in the riot in Marseille totally by mistake. But like there was this, you know, there is this sense of my God, something is happening. And yeah. they were all drawn to this thrill. But the other thing that he, he felt was that he noticed about them, and this comes back to where we're going, because you talked at the beginning about, about legalising thuggery. Like football hooliganism was seen as, you know, everyone used to condemn them and they were seen as rightly condemned, but they saw it differently. They saw it as something they were doing that was different. But one of the things Buford said was, that he realized that they didn't really like people, right? He felt there was this thing, and it was, you know, and it was an English. It was an English thing. They like, they like, they like the Queen. They like their mates. All the crap. The, but they, yeah, but they didn't mm. like people, and there was hostility to people that was very particular to that uh, element of maybe English society. Like he used to say, like you couldn't imagine. And now it's changed a bit, but you couldn't imagine any other group going to a foreign city mm. and deciding this is how we're going to behave. Oh, yeah. And you see it now with the people, with the people who are drawn to these sports. It's, it's a similar, it's a similar it, thing. It, and it's, it's a very much, you know, there's a, there's a, again, a, you could argue there's a lost empire in America. You know, the people who are drawn to this, who are drawn to UFC, who are drawn to power slapping in America, feel disenfranchised, feel, but again, they're also just drawn to the thrill of it. And there's a, and do they like people? Do they do they have an empathy for society? 
But is it is it coincidental? Because you know they're being paid, and obviously, and I'm, I'm making a bold assumption a here. You know, they're they're being paid pittance or whatever, being exploited. But you know, are they doing it for money? And that's as simple as it, as it is. Are these kind of people that kind of you know, is it money plus this sort of rage? Uh, that is looking, you know, they're looking to park somewhere and they see this as something that, you know, gives them that outlet. I, I'm not sure it's that deep in that sense because if, if you go to football games, it's interesting. You might see, you know, you, you know if you're a Liverpool supporter, <laughs> which I am, um, and from time to time you might end up, you know, if it's a, if it's a derby or something like that, I you the uh, opposition end and all that. You kind of see this almost performance of of violence mm. in terms of supporting the team. But in the day-to-day lives, some of these people are just ordinary people that, you know, really will get on. Is this a behavioral trend that almost fits into this is how we must behave to show that we are, uh, uh, you know, hardened supporters or if it's a GAA game, the coach is telling you to get stuck in and all that it's in sports. I think there's a. Yeah. I mean, uh, my my first brush with hooliganism, like scary thuggery. Myself and this boy Cal Carr from Monaghan, we were in Trinity together. Um, I think Terry Jennings was there from you know a dub, but who's in Trinity with us? We were on the tube in London, and as we were coming into the. We were going to actually play in the Her- I think it was the Herefordshire Sevens, or either that, or we were there. Trinity College had gone over for, for a weekend to play some games in London. Anyway, we're on the tube, and we were coming into the tube station. And as we were coming into the tube station, there was a young fellow wearing a West Ham scarf and a scarf, and a young black man wearing a West Ham. And as we were coming, all you could hear was like boom, 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 and the tube started to shake. It was the Millwall supporters. And he just immediately stuck the scarf down his jump. And the doors came open. And all these guys, I would have thought, 35, 40 years of age, well, big chunky leather jackets, and all said, Oh, it's I, I, I'm a little son. I. And in they came, big man, and this young cop got in, you know, wearing the Lutton's policeman's hat. And just before the doors closed, you could just see him thinking, I'm not being paid for this. He just stepped back off onto mm, the platform. Yeah. And here they are, right? Oh, I, oh, I, son! Oh, I. And one of them took, one of them ripped down the fluorescent light. And it was all this like black powder. And he, he slapped himself. This big, big guy, big square jawed white guy, you know, as the, as the anti refugee people, an, an unvetted white male of fighting age. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me, how does that take me to the fair? That, like, unvetted white male of fighting age. Silly tools, anyway. Anyway, he slaps himself and he goes, he goes, fuck me, lads. He says, oh, I'm a fucking nigger. I'm a fucking nigger. And I was like, oh, my God. And, 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 and the, the guy beside him says, you fucking, and, and, and banged him. Mm-hmm. Banged him. Hit him across the face. And I just thought, oh, Jesus Christ, they're going to fucking kill us. Yeah. And there they are, into our faces. Oh, it's and I was like, oh, yeah, oh, God. Jesus and they got out everybody just sat there you know mm-hmm. and I'd never seen anything like that yeah, before and obviously they, they were going on the rampage they were going to fight they were going to and you know I have no doubt those will be exactly the same people 
who would be saying, look, you know, these are Syrians who are unvetted males of fighting. <laughs> <laughs> unvetted males of fighting age. I mean, what the fuck is that? Yeah. And, and, and that there's a, a trace through to all of this. And what I'm concerned about is that something that used to be the preserve of video games of, you know, mm. it's now... It's playing it's not, out. Yeah, but this UFC thing's very dangerous in that regard. I mean, they had a they had a big event in Belfast and they were running battles outside. Young fellas fist fighting up and down outside. And, you know, if you... I mean, you could easily... You could easily have the ultimate combat championship. If you had a... You know, you got a Saudi billionaire, an entrepreneurial billionaire... You know, you could say, look, we're going to do um, fights to the death. Right? You'd, you'd, have, you'd have young men joining up. Exactly. No yeah. problem. I mean, they join up and they go to war. They go to, they fight, they fight in armies for, for the minimum wage. So why not, why not do it for real money? They'll say, look, we've, 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 the, you know, we're giving them an outlet to express themselves. You know, you call it the ultimate fighting championship. You give them, you just go back to the days of the Roman amphitheater. You give them knives. They fight it out to the death. And in the red corner with a record of five fights, five kills, the body snatcher from Lagos, Nigeria, you know, fighting against the, now you imagine the hysteria that that would Mm. cause. And... You know, you could you could do it in one of those free cities that they're talking about now. These yeah, these free these free, free city areas, yeah. and and they could say, look, we've got the best of medical care here. You know, the most important thing for us is, you know, when someone gets injured, we have the best of medical personnel here to look after them. You know, uh, how long how long if we continue in this path is it before we start to move towards? I mean, it's already, I think, a, a, a dystopia. But you know what? Do you know what strikes me when you say that? Do you know what would happen? You say that there would be an outrage if that was, was happened pretty soon, and this is the way everything is set up these days. Pretty soon, there will be enough people coming in to defend it. Of course, but to explain, well, no, we do have the best. When they get stabbed, uh, we've got we've got first rate surgeons yeah. on hand. Yeah, we've got you know they yeah. get they get you know eighty five percent of these people live. You know, they'd, yeah. they'd, uh, they'd, they'd justify it. And that's yeah. the thing. They'd say, and look, you know, after that wonderful fight, I know that, that, that it, will be a, it will be a tremendously distressing event for his family that he leaves behind, but it will be a yeah. consolation to them that he died doing the thing that he and loved. It is, very, it is a very and rare event. It is a very rare to see somebody die. Yes. And, <laughs> no, well, the whole point of this would be to kill them. But he says, and Bob, because they're all called Bob, America's worst character. And Bob, I think it's, it's yeah. wonderful to see the two trainers embrace in the center of the ring an example of true sportsmanship for the millions of viewers watching at home and I have to say it's hard not to feel proud Bob of this great sport when, when we see things like this happen and we'll just seem like old people shouting at the clouds yeah you know? yeah. yeah if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Yeah, I mean, like, the the... The the knock-on effect of these things is immeasurable, and we know, you know, that like the vast majority of boxers of success have gone on to die in poverty, penury, gunfights, drugs, you know, brain damage, Parkinson's, you know, Ray Boom Boom Mancini. I don't know if you, you boys should remember Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Him. He was the glamour fighter of his era. You know, he was, he was, you know, a wonderful looking fella and all, and a really exciting fighter. You know, and he fought a South Korean, a guy called Duk Kusim, for the lightweight title of the world. And soon wrote on his, this was found afterwards, he wrote on the lampshade in the hotel room where he was staying with his mother in the run-up to the fight. Win or die. That's what he wrote in in in, in Korean. And by the 12th round, he had suffered terrible punishment. And the referee was a man called Richard Green. And Richard didn't intervene. And in the 13th round, Mancini delivered 39 consecutive headshots to Soon. And in the 14th, finally dispatched him to the canvas with a another, a final murderous salvo. And it was a 
terribly dramatic night. Um, Kim never got up again. He went into a coma. He died two days later. And his mother had been with him throughout. She committed, she took her own life. She drank weed killer in the hotel. And two months later, Richard Green, the referee, took his own life. And, you know, it's a small story. Hmm. But this is the reality of this violence. I mean, when Chris Eubank knocked out Michael Watson, you know, and left him in a coma, six brain operations, you know. Um, go back to the great middleweight fighters, Nigel Ben, Eubank, all those guys fighting together, you know, and again, they were talked about as though they were animals, you know. Yeah. Ben fought Gerald McClellan, the G-man, and the G-man, he uh, said beforehand, you, you go to war and you die or you lose. I'm not afraid because it's my job. And it was an absolutely bloodthirsty fight. I don't know if you remember it. And Ben was knocked through the ropes in the first round, but amazingly recovered. He was called the Dark Destroyer. And he eventually knocked out McClelland in the 10th. McClelland went into a coma. He didn't die. But I mean... I think it was Eric Bogle who wrote, you know, some things are worse than dying. He lives in a small bungalow. I saw a documentary a few years ago in Freeport with his sister Lisa who has devoted her life to him. He's blind. He can't hear. He's in a wheelchair. His face is puffy and happy in that way that, you know, people with severe brain damage often look like a sort of a happy, you know, he likes to be hugged and touched constantly because he's afraid of the dark. And when a visitor is introduced to him, he squeezes their hand and shouts, get him a cookie, Lisa, get him a cookie. Yeah. This is the reality. You know, yeah. This is where it is. You know, For all the Tyson Furies who come through it unscathed, and hopefully he will do that. You know, I mean, Barry McGuigan, one of our greatest fighters, he killed a young man in the ring, sixth or seventh fight. Young Ali, you probably mm. don't even remember him. They're fucking spat out the back. Mm. You know, Barry was just too strong for him, too murderous, you know, in his in his punching power and all. But they're spat out the back, and we forget them. You know? And uh, I mean, that's what's happening, I think, with this cage fight. And, and you know, the cage fighting came in. There was kind of upright, the same kind of reaction we're having now. But with time, it was kind of normalised. And here we go again. Where's it going to, when is it, where, you know, what, what is what is the extremity of this license to thrill? Yeah. 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 What next? Well, um, as long as they, they keep justifying it by saying there's an audience for it and there's a, there's massive potential here. That it could go anywhere. Yeah, yeah, but there's an audience. There's an, there's audience. an audience for everything. No, I mean, that's if, what I mean. If, yeah. if you put yeah. a video on the internet yeah. of someone shooting yeah. someone else dead, yeah, and we've seen that from you America. Go, you, go, you go to Riyadh, the the public headings, the yeah. play, you know, you got lots of people turning up. There's an audience for everything, yeah. no matter how gory or just, how depraved just, it is. Just yeah. let me stop you there. Yeah, in Riyadh, yeah, they still have public. I didn't realize they had public executions. They used to do it for a while. They used to do it for a while. I don't know whether they're still doing it because I remember we when we used to do projects there, 
some of the uh, some of our guys uh, will literally, you know, be recounting Friday nights right. going out to the public square to see um, either flogging or to see, you know, public beheadings. And the justification yeah. was, well, you know, this is punishing a crime we regard as severe and we want to kind of set an example. And that's how they got away with it for I'm, a long time. I'm really But surprised that yeah. Sky haven't got in yeah. on that. Yeah. I mean, Sky Judgment Day. A Super Sunday triple bill, <laughs> only twenty nine yeah. euro ninety nine. They could do it at Newcastle United yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, RT couldn't afford it, but <laughs> but but I mean, you know, it's not as outlandish as it sounds. You know, you 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 go back to those days when public executions in England yeah. were there. They, they they brought in the biggest number of spectators. Hundred thousand people was a common crowd yeah. at Tyburn, and they had a grandstand. They actually built a grandstand, right? Overlooking the gallows. And then, you know, the closer you were to the gallows, the more expensive the seats were. There was a sort of a, a corporate box, a fancy house beside the gallows. There was a corporate box in there where the Sheriff of London watched the executions with invited guests. And where you could, you could, you could, you could, you could, you could, you could get the executioner's autograph. You know, so, so, and I see this all the time in, in my, in my practice that human beings have to be protected against their own worst instincts. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's why as we see the deregulation of, Or, or in society, you know, by governments and all of that, and the unleashing of these sort of, you know, the the the, the great inequality that's been caused mm -hmm. by deregulation and freeing up the markets and all, you know, that all these dark forces are assembling out there. Yeah, well, that's it. Is 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 market forces? It's this idea that if there is a market for something, we'll then that's go for it. That's legit. That's that's all. Yeah. That's all the, the all the justification you need. There's a market. Let's then, you know, that's the argument one. Well, Blackstone are, you know, the world's uh, wealthiest hedge fund, private equity fund. I think that's right, Charlie, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Blackstone. Yeah. And recently in America, they've come under scrutiny because they uh, own a firm, a meatpacking firm, which is a huge sort of monopoly business in America now. And they've been caught hiring 14-year-olds working mm. in the meatpacking factories. Now, what's happening alongside that is that you've got re Republican politicians, Republican Party senators and congressmen lobbying in those areas for a reduction in the working age. Yeah. And all around the world, it's easy to make the case that we are regressing Slowly but surely, back to, you know, 100, 200 years ago. Mm. You know, and I know that people people in good circumstances, like like, like us, in good, very good, very yeah. lucky, affluent circumstances, can say, ah, come on, it's not going to happen. But look around. Look around at what is happening. Food banks flourishing. You know, nurses now resorting to food banks. In England, there are now two and a half thousand food banks. In 2010, there were 20. So, but is that is that is that the consequence of this sort of unchecked runaway capitalism to the extent where you know if we if we kind of again just you know greed is good kind of thing? 
So, you know, if we're regressing, we're not regressing by accident, it's purposeful. You know, we're regressing and, and for commercial gain or commercial exploitation. So, you know, Dan White knows what he's doing. He knows it's exploitable. Who's going to win? He's the guy that's going to be adding to his... his, 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 his uh, and it's more than that. You, yeah. you then, you then we, we've seen it in England, how politics have been bought. Yeah. The leaders group who, mm. who were only formed uh, in, in, you know, into the noughties, five or six years into the noughties. They've donated £130 million. It emerges yeah. this week from the Open Democracy Project. They've do, given £130 million to the, to the Conservatives. So you rewrite laws. You know, we've seen what has happened with the deregulation of gambling so that these people are now richer than, richer yeah. than Croesus. I mean, one, one woman alone, Bet365, her annual salary is three hundred million pounds. Now the power that that unleashes doesn't exactly. matter. Doesn't matter about the misery that it causes at the bottom. Yeah. All the all the addicts that are created, all the all the broken homes that are caused by that, you know, because because once the focus in society is taken off the consequences of inequality and lionizes the people who are the billionaires and the elites, which is what's happening very that's effectively. Happening. But also yeah. look yeah. at what's, what's happening. Where do we go? What's happening in the UK with, with trying to introduce photo ID, photo ID for voting. They're trying to bring that in, yeah. which is again, <laughs> copying what's happened in the US. When you were talking about lowering the working age, I was thinking you'll lower the working age, but you're going to make, if it's these 14 year olds, when they get to 18, they're going to find it, yeah. they won't be able to vote because if they're black, It'll, it's impossible for but them to vote. They're making it harder and harder. But it's just by design. But and they're yeah. going to be free because they can buy a gun when they're fourteen. They can yeah. buy an AR. They can buy an AK forty-seven in the supermarket, right? They're going to be real American boys. They're mm. going to be free. Yeah. You know, don't give a damn about. They're, but, you know, they're not. Go, they're not going to examine the fine print. But they've got a gun. <laughs> they might have a shit job. <laughs> they'll be able to get drunk. They'll be able to gamble wherever they want to. They'll be able to go to the cage fighting. They'll be able to enjoy the power slapping. And yeah. if they're lucky, they might even get a spot on the power slapping. And then whenever the knife fighting comes in, come on, it's mm. going to be... You know what? What about in America? You could start in America with... Because they're already killing sort of... what they're, I think there have been 87 or 90 mass shootings in January and February alone this mm. year in America. Why not just bring in a, an old-style gunfight? Oh, that's an even better idea. Like the <laughs> exactly. gunfight at the OK, just... Yeah. One, two guys on a street, yeah. a set, and it's and, and it's a gunfight to the death. Yeah. Hey, yeah. what would you pay for that on a pay for? What would you pay for that in a pay per view? But they, there you go. Or you, you kind of legalize Russian roulette and say, guess what? You know, they're voluntary. They're adults, yeah. and you know, it's a game of poker. And yeah, you know, who and, blinks and, first? And, yeah. and 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 you know, like we, you know, the the wonderful thing, the wonderful thing about um, the ultimate gunfighter. Is Bob? I think we can say this to the viewer, <laughs> Bob, that uh, that uh, you know, although although one of these fine young men has to die today, very very generous financial provision has been made by <laughs> Ultimate Gunfighter for his widow to be and seven children. And I and I think we gotta thank God we live in a country where we still look after our most vulnerable, <laughs> because all you do is, is hijack that language and use it. Then yeah. I think we should come back when that ultimate gunfighting is uh, rolled out by Dana White or some equivalent, because it will happen one day. I, I have absolutely no doubt. But Joe, which is uh, just, you know, you talk a lot about inequality and maybe that's a conversation that's, you know, you kind of roll into the 
another discussion because there's there's the, the, all of these things are rooted into how far we we're, we're creating that inequality and 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 the commercialization to the extent of exploiting yeah i mean uh, uh, individuals you know at any cost at any price yeah yeah i mean whenever i've this is the i this is the true story of when we met but about we were in miami and we were traveling around and we'd been the Miami Board of Commerce, I can't remember the exact, Charlie, you might remember, but do you remember the wee guy with the bow tie and all who was the head of the Miami Board of Commerce whenever we were all sitting around the boardroom and they were whining and dining, as you see, because we were all going to be multi-billionaires. (laughs) We were bringing this tremendous project to them, you see, and he said, gentlemen, he said, welcome to zero Texas. That's what he said, welcome to zero Texas. So anyway, in America, it's a weird place. They get up at like, I mean, the meetings were like seven o'clock, you know, half six, seven, half seven. So myself and Charles, you know, Charles only stays in luxury hotels, you see. So anyway, myself and Charles were getting more. We're only getting to know each other. And so Charles, for all the size of him, as my grandmother used to say, he's not the size of too good turf, but he, but he, he can drink like a man who's six foot ten. He, like, he can drink like Andre the Giant. So anyway, we would, we would be finished by... One o'clock, half one, two. So we just say, well, I think we should go for a few beers. You see, so we go for like, and we go you know, three o'clock in the morning. Anyway, so we're about seven days in and I'm a shell of a man. Well, I say to Charles, <laughs> we finish off on the Friday, you see. We've been winding down the, the night before by some board of commerce or other. And anyway, we're there. We've had our meetings. We're finished. I, Charlie's sitting in the foyer of this grand hotel. I go to Charlie's sitting there. I say, I said to him, Charlie, dare we go for a pint? He said, does a bear shit in the woods? <laughs> I look, I think we will come back to some of this stuff there. But again, we're getting closer to the real important stuff of how you two actually met. So we'll, 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 we'll pick that up again. Charles, it's great having you in as usual. Yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, great chat, uh, Joe. Thanks again. Thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.